Blog Talk Radio. Keep going. In 400 meters, take a left at The Valley with Kevin and Karen, The Valley's favorite podcast. I woke up this morning. Had a burning deep inside. Like when you're feeling. It's all a big lie. I feel the pain. And we are back. Welcome back to another episode of Left of the Valley with Kevin, Karen, Nancy, and from Chilwag, Alistair. How are you doing, guys? Hey, warm greetings from the valley. Good. <laughs> awesome. We've got a great little show going on today. we got a lot of things going on. Um, we'll, we'll be analyzing Lawrence Krauss. We went to uh, Imagine No Religion 5 and we interviewed Lawrence Krauss. He granted us a very short interview, but I want to analyze it with you guys. But before all that, I want to have uh, a little therapy session with you guys. Because you guys are like my bartender, right? You know? <laughs> okay. Um, we had a big week in the States uh, this, back, this past week. If you guys were progressive in any way, shape, or form, or uh, liberal, or call yourself... Uh, Whichever way you want, it doesn't matter. Uh, they had big, big things going on there. Um, first of all, I guess they had that uh, after the shooting in the in, the, in that town. Uh, they Charleston. Took, yeah, Charleston. Uh, they took down that. Uh, a lot of places are taking out the Confederate flag. Um, there's, you know, it's uh, it's a big issue down there. They also supported the Supreme Court. Also supported what they call the Affordable Air, uh, Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, but the big thing is, uh, I guess, what they call Rainbow Week, where the Supreme Court came down and actually recognized the rights for the LGBTQ. Just huge. Yeah, the absolutely. Celebrations huge. outside were just joyous. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess I wanted to talk to you guys a bit about that, uh, if you guys had any thoughts on this. I mean, we've uh, had this uh, going on here in Canada in 2005. Uh, it, it became into law. Uh, in the States, it just happened, and in a way, when it happens in the States, it kind of makes it official for almost the rest of the world. It kind of sets the standard. I don't agree with that in this case at all. There's several countries that already have marriage rights. I think everyone else thought the States were being incredibly backwards, so they're just starting to catch up. Yeah, yeah, but I, th- I think I think once the States accept, it's, it's, uh, it's really a question of... Uh, well, they've joined. They've joined the rest of the world, and as a leading country, I think the fact that they've finally caught up has some has some credibility with with the rest of the with the rest of the world. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a while. I don't remember, and I'm old enough to remember a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do not remember a week that had so many progressive causes come to fruition yes just get back then then that one it was every day it was holy smokers what can they do to top yesterday so so if you know a conservative in your family or in your entourage give them a hug <laughs> you might want to put on a life vest because they are crying a lot <laughs> and it was it was a good week for if you're a progressive person altogether and uh, congratulations to the states for finally finally getting that through absolutely it's about freaking time 
I took a conservative out to breakfast this morning. It was painful, <laughs> but I did it for the rest. I did it for the Gipper and the rest of you. <laughs> what about you, Alistair? What do you think? Any thoughts? You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm actually, I'm Googling right now the, the Stonewall Inn. Do you remember back in 1969? Yes, sure. Absolutely. Maybe you could, you know, tell me about the date. Wasn't it around this time that the Stonewall riots happened? Um, Probably. Most of the riots happen in the summertime when it's, everybody can get out. But I think so. I'd be glad to look it up, you know, for next time. But I, I think they I think they were. I think they might have been in May, but but that's okay. Yep. And there certainly is a lesson as well in that for uh, us that are atheists. Uh, I've always said that we need to take example on the gays. Uh, you know, uh, for the longest time, being gay was a very taboo word, and they just took it back. They took it back, and they basically said, we're here, we're not going away, get used to it, and now this has finally come to fruition in a way. And as atheists, I think we should take that kind of battle too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think, part. let me just put this in on the 18th of this month is the uh, pride celebration in abbotsford and they're going to have a three-day celebration part of which is going to be on a saturday at 1:30, and mill lake park is the march and anyone who would like to join is invited to to join in that celebration so if you need an event to celebrate all of it come to mill lake park in abbotsford and and have a happy time and join us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we uh-huh. marched we marched with them a couple of years ago. We did. Uh, um, although I don't remember, I didn't. We didn't go last year. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't remember there was a parade last I year. I don't remember that there was either. In Abbotsford. Yeah. I know. I know. I wrote a letter to the editor at the time uh, about uh, congratulations, Abbotsford, for finally doing that. And boy, did that get a lot of backlash. Uh, <laughs> but there was a lot of discussion, and it's a good thing. Yeah, it was. And this year, the um, city hall is flying the pride flag. And the mayor and the council were 100% supportive, saying that they represent the entire community, they want inclusiveness, they want people to respect each other, and the Charter of Rights trumps religious opposition. Perfect. Wow, that's that's a big step forward for Abbotsford. It was. I was sitting. I was sitting in the the, the auditorium when um, they got some opposition. And it was it was a thrilling <laughs> there would be a thrilling moment in Abbotsford. It was absolutely thrilling. Yeah, and and, and it made an, it uh, it made enough of an impact that actually, the Georgia Strait from Vancouver actually wrote about this, and uh, another kind of letter to the air thing uh, got a lot of words and a lot of ink uh, was uh, written about the, the this uh, situation. So that's pretty cool. Anything else you guys want to add to this, or should we move on to the state history? I was actually going to just say it was June 28, 1969, that the uh, the, the police, um, uh, what do you call it, broke into the Stonewall Inn and did that raid, which caused the riots back in 1969. So I just think it's kind of interesting that you know here we have this Supreme Court of the USA Supreme Court making a decision on on gay marriage right around the time. That you know, what we're looking at 40, 40 odd years ago, forty-five years ago, that you know, gay people were being were being um, thrown into jail for for their their orientation. I think it's just it's an amazing milestone. I think the fact that that Abbotsford have decided to raise the flag. I, I spent many years living in Abbotsford. I never thought I'd see the day that Abbotsford City Council would agree to raise the pride flag. I think it's just it's amazing, just brilliant. 
Awesome. Perfect. All right. I guess we'll move on then, and we'll do this. Save history. Here you go, Nancy. All righty. The day in history is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between June 22nd and tomorrow, July 5th. Starting with June 22nd in 1633, big event, Galileo was forced to recant Earth orbits around the sun by the Pope, and it took how many years from 1633 to 1992 when the Pope finally admitted that Galileo was correct? Boy, can they hold on to a grudge, you guys, huh? I know. But anyway, he was finally vindicated after all those years. Um, 1847, the donut hole was created. It, believe it or not, before that, donuts were just fried in a really. Yeah. Oh, oh can I, I? I don't know if you, any. I, used to, I read all the Little House in the Prairie books, and I, in that it mentions that, and I remember it clearly. She says because one of her kids comes back from town and says, "Oh, well, they have this new thing. It's a donut with a hole in it." And his mom is like, "Well, why would you do that?" <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Actually, there's, I've got the answer to that. Believe it or not, okay, the donut whole invention in 1847. I don't know when the little house on the prairie books, but it must have been around that time. The invention is attributed to a Captain Hanson Gregory, and he was a Dutch sailor, and his mother made donuts, and the inside of the donuts in the middle were always soggy, but everybody put up with them because they thought that's how donuts are. So there are a lot of variations, but Captain Gregory's uh, ship hit a storm, and while he had one of these donuts, it impaled on one of the spokes of the steering wheel. <laughs> is this really true? Like, this well, is amazing. There's, there's three or four stories, but I like this one the best. <laughs> anyway, so the donut was now impaled on the spoke so he could keep his hand <laughs> to steer. And that spoke took out the, the raw center of the donut, and Captain Gregory said, voila, <laughs> you know, I like this better. <laughs> Commander, turn to port so I can have a bite off my donut, please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's as good a story as anything else. It's a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. Okay. In um, 1978, on the 22nd, there was a guy whose name was Jim King. He was a radio announcer, and he spent... 368 hours riding the Miracle Strip roller coaster to set a record. So he kept that record. Can you imagine? 368 hours. It was over about 16 days. It wasn't. But he got off to do, you know, business and all stuff. Anyway, the Guinness Book of Records um, kept it till 1979 um, and then they disbanded it. And then in 1986, two Canadians uh, beat the record. They didn't want it because of safety records, but the the two crazy Canucks took the record. You, you know, I can understand people wanted to beat a record. You know, like strongest man in the world or something like that. I can understand <laughs> that, but longest roller coaster ride? What's the point? I, I, I don't other, get it. Other than feeling better when you get off, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Okay, June, moving to June 24th, maybe you know this, Kevin, it's National Day in Quebec. Saint-Jean-Baptiste, yes. yes and in 1880, that was the first performance of O Canada, which we, we all know would become national anthem. Which was actually written in French, and was in French for the longest time before it had an English version. Correct. Very good. But you know all of that. I can depend on you to... Oh, God, no. Good. Don't depend on me for anything. <laughs> 
not moving to June 25th, which is Independence Day in Mozambique, um, in 1876, Battle of the Little Bighorn, uh, where uh, poor George Armstrong Custer came out a really low uh, second, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when he was wiped out by the Sioux and the Cheyenne. Um, June 27th was uh, Canadian Multicultural Day. And in 1957, the British Medical Research Council published a report suggesting, in 1950, suggesting a direct link between smoking and lung cancer. Duh. Really? Yeah. What was her first clue? That hackers <laughs> call for saying in the morning? <laughs> Could have been. I don't know. They, I think they kept their eyes closed to those clues for a long time after 1957 as well. <laughs> uh, the 28th is Constitution Day in the Ukraine. And in 1928, on the, uh, on the 28th, a guy named Frederick Schmidl attempted to do rocket mail in Austria. He actually developed this rocket. He would he wanted to load the mail onto the rocket, and he wanted it to go from his town to the next town. It had 102 letters, and it was operated by remote control. And then he had a little parachute to the land. <laughs> the first FedEx. The first FedEx. <laughs> exactly. It went about three kilometers, so it wasn't all that successful. Um, and the Austrian post office wasn't really in favor of because. You know, they, they they had to then say that having uh, explosives could be owned by private people, and they didn't want that. So we could have had FedEx rocket, you know, instead of mail. Well, if he was around today, he would probably be using these uh, drones to be delivering mail. Oh, maybe that. Maybe we could say that's the first uh, indication of the of the, the precursor of the drones. Yeah, exactly. Good one. Good one. Okay, uh, July 1st, uh, of course, as we all know, Canada Day. I hope everybody had a great time. Mm -hmm. um, what was the Canada Day originally called? Oh, sorry? Yeah, what it, what it was originally called, Pap Quiz, Canada Day was... Canada Day was Confederation Day? No, Dominion Day. Dominion, Dominion Day. Day. Yeah, right. and it changed uh -huh. in uh, 1982, and that's the, the day that the Canada Act passed. Oh, yes, of course. So, and in 1980, that was the day that uh, the year in um, in month where O Canada became the original anthem. So, July 2nd, World UFO Day. I didn't know there was a World UFO Day. I want to believe. I, I, sorry, what day is the World UFO Day? The, uh, World UFO Day, July 2nd. Second, darn it, we missed it. I know. I would have so done something, but I didn't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> UFO pinata or something. I, I, I know. We could have filled with aliens. Uh, well, we'll have to plan it. For, put it on the calendar for, for next year. For next year, because it, it's a good awareness day and um, for people to gather together and watch for unidentified flying objects. That day is celebrated. The second is celebrated, but some celebrated on June 24th. Because the 24th was the day that um, an aviator, private aviator Kenneth Arnold first reported uh, flying objects in, a, in our modern day. He reported there was a string of them across the Cascades while he was flying near Mount Rainier. Hmm. And um, that led to a string of sightings uh, that culminated on July 2nd when the supposed UFO crash in, uh, occurred in Roswell, New Mexico, and of course that's the the date that all the good UFO conspiracy theorists started bubbling up, you know, to the 
to the surface. So we could do two days next year, the 24th and July the 2nd, so we don't miss either one yeah, of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm down for that. Yeah, there we go. Of course, July. Yeah, we're good. Oh, what? Sorry, Alistair, what did you say? I was going to say, you could have fun with this. You could have a whole bunch of people going down to, like, Mill Lake Park and just standing, looking up in the sky and pointing. And <laughs> you, you, you get around to gather around. So you get a whole crowd, then the people who started it kind of walk away and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the calendar, Alistair. <laughs> Uh, July 4th, of course, was Independence Day. And I think it's great that Independence Day on the 4th, um, that the Supreme Court ruling for gay marriage came at the same, yeah. same week as July. It, I know I don't think they planned it that way, but it will be that way forever, and I'm really, really thrilled. I think a lot of people see the connection. Nice coincidence. Nice yeah. coincidence. July 5th, which is tomorrow, <clears throat> is X Day in the Church of the Subgenius. What? It, yeah, here we go. First of all, genius and church, it doesn't I, really I, go I, together. Subgenius, right? Subgenius. Okay. Uh, this, this, this is so cute. You will love this. There is a, an organization called the Church of the Subgenius, and it's actually a parody re, uh, religion described by some of its own members. Here, this is this is their internal description: an insane, bogus UFO mind control cult. <laughs> I like him already. <laughs> I know. Well, the reason that I did too, July fifth was supposed to be the end of the world, where aliens would destroy the Earth and but rescue the subgenius members. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So become a subgenius member. <laughs> so the doctrine combines absolutely the worst elements of self-help groups, UFO cults, Scientology, apolyptic Christianity, and utterly shameless money-grabbing antics. You have to love that group. So, so, so if you join in, do they give you a tinfoil hat? Well, actually, they'll give you probably if you ask for it. They'll also give you. A little um, certificate saying that you can be a minister of the Church of the Subgenius. If you give them a donation, they'll send you pamphlets. They'll send you everything saying that yeah, you can go forth and and be a minister of the bogus uh, Church of the Subgenius. Who could resist? I, I have a actually more sober note that um, I was reading online about because humanists aren't allowed to perform marriage ceremonies, right? And um, but so there was this this forum online that I was reading and there was a guy who wanted to officiate at his friend's wedding. They'd been friends for many years and uh, he was, you know, public speaker and all of that so so his friend asked him and he he wanted to do it um, and if he had his piece of paper from the sub-genius, he could have. He could have. In, in Canada. But he couldn't as a humanist and and that's really sad actually, that, that if you buy some bogus, you know, certificate from somewhere in the States They'll say, oh, yeah, you're a minister of something, so go ahead. But if you say, I'm someone who believes in equality and rights for everyone on earth, they'll say, no, sorry, you're not qualified. Like, I know, it, it makes no sense. Is there, 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 there has been some activity to try and, and re- not restore that, but try to initiate yeah. and, and human... In, on, is that getting anywhere? In Ontario, it's now. You're now... Uh, oh, you then... Do that, that, but not that anywhere helps. else in Canada. Yeah. We can let Ontario get ahead of us? Uh, but there are other places, like uh, Scotland, horrible. I believe, and... I think maybe also in England you can. There are other countries where yeah. you can be a humanist efficient. Uh, you, can, you can do it in the States, too. But until then... Possibly. I don't yeah. know. I didn't oh, that. I know for sure. Actually, we were talking about David Smalley, a dogma mm-hmm. debate. He's actually an official uh, celebrant himself. 
In, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Until then, if you want to donate $35, you can be an ordained minister. You just send your money on the website, the Subgenius, the Church of the Subgenius. You send it to J.R. Bob Dobbs. <laughs> Bob Dobbs. Now, that's too perfect. Okay. Pop quiz. What state do you think the Church of the Subgenius started in? Oh, Texas. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Texas it is. Of course there it had to be go. Texas. <laughs> can't, can't do much better than that. So <laughs> that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events, some of them Texas, and people that make up. <laughs> This day in history. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. That was great, and we'll be right back right after this. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. All right, we're back. Well, it's been an interesting week. Have you noticed how dry it is out here right now? I don't know about you guys, right? I, I was listening to the radio the other day. They were saying um, May, they received like 5 millimeters of rain instead of the usual 50. About the same for, for June. It's Texas weather. I mean, I'm just, I'm reveling in this because I really feel like I'm back. I'm back in Texas in July. It's just almost identical, but not as much humidity. Sorry, Alice, what you were saying? They, they're, 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 apparently, they're saying that we're not going to have any significant precipitation until September. Yes. Wow. Oh, that's what I heard too. You know, I hate to say it, but those, uh, well, I don't hate to say it, but those tree-hugging hippies were right. You know, this is this is climate change. These are the effects of it. We see it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I always have this little pet theory that uh, here in, the, in BC, a lot of people get the winter blues. And my little pet theory was that uh, May usually is very sunny, but June is usually full of rain. And in June, you also have the longest day of the year, which you don't really get to see usually here in BC because it's so dark and gloomy and rainy. Uh, so by the time December comes around, you really have you hit the winter blows. You know, by the time you actually see the sun in July, uh, the days are getting shorter. That was my little pet theory, but I'm kind of curious to see this winter if there's going to be a drop in winter blues. Some people. Mm. Interesting. Anyway. I've got some. We we will see. Make a note to um, put it on the uh, you know on the show to to detect the difference somewhere maybe in January. See how it how it's coming along. Yeah, see if they. I don't know if they come out with those stats uh, at that time or it's going to be much later. Well, either way, don't matter. I'm gonna leave for a second. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, take care of his dog. I think so. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we got some interesting stories for you guys, and let's go with another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. All right, in the wacky world of religion today. Well, this is actually an older story. I was supposed to bring up the uh, at the last show, but we never got around to it. Did you guys hear the story about these uh, Saskatchewan siblings in their early twenties? 
that have been barred from leaving Malaysia? Mm-hmm. Because apparently they uh, allegedly stripped for photos on a sacred mountain in an act of, uh, an official there believed triggered a deadly a deadly earthquake and landslides. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's Malaysia, right? So it's in a country rapidly more known for misplacing airplanes. Malaysian police have identified their brother and sister as Lindsay Peterson, 23, and Danielle Peterson, 22. The police is accusing them of and three of the tourists from the Netherlands and Germany of breaking off their tour and taking nude photos on Mount Kinabalu on May 30th before being scolded by a guide. <laughs> the photos were posted on the Kinabalu Park Facebook page and they have uh, sparked anger amongst them, some Malaysians for being disrespectful. Now, the Deputy Chief Minister, Trans Sri Joseph Perrin Kinnigan, told the Malay Mail Online the earthquake was a confirmation of the people's belief. It's a sacred mountain and you cannot take it lightly. So the Sabah Police Commissioner Jaladulin Abdul Rahman told the Free Malaysian Today that all five tourists won't be allowed to leave the state until the investigation is complete. And they apparently faced a 400 ringgit, which is apparently a $132 fine. If convicted, the report Pay said. the fine and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least, at least 16. Apparently, and leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. apparently 16 hikers died in a 6.0 magnitude quake and oh. subsequent landslides. Any thoughts about that? Aside the fact that, you know, wow, this is 2015 and we're believing in sacred mountains. This is a brother and sister, right? Yeah. Okay. I never want to see my brothers naked. That's the part that hangs me up. I, it's I, a close-knit family. What can I say? Uh, yeah. But apparently it's a thing, right? Apparently it's not. It's not. This is not unusual. Apparently it's a thing to go to the top of a mountain and take naked pictures. You know, everybody stands there just naked and I guess covering your genitalia if they want to or not, and it's just you know you and primal in nature. It, it was their bad luck to do it just before the earthquake. And, oh yeah. And and it was the good luck of the police to have somebody to blame, blame. it on. <laughs> so, it, depending on what side I, you're I, on. I, you know what? I'm really. Oh, can't hear him. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I'm gonna torn on this issue because. Like I'm totally into like anthropology and 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 you know indigenous rights and stuff. So part of me is kind of like, you know what? Um, it's a for the for the country to get so bent out of shape and you know to, to take these you know young people and to you know imprison them and, and then and then you know and then find them. You know that's a bit ridiculous. But at the same time, you know what? You're visiting another country. You know there are certain levels of respect that you have mm-hmm. to have like you know it's, it's like even even living here in, in, in Stalo territory there are certain things that you would and wouldn't do simply out of respect for the historical culture mm-hmm. as yeah. not so much as the religion side of it but yeah so I'm kind of torn because it's like yeah it's not really that big of a deal but at the same time from an anthropological uh, an anthropological point of view um, yeah it can be a big deal so I don't know yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of divided in this one I agree with you on that, Alistair. It's it's kind of a disrespectful thing to do to someone else's culture, religion aside. Oh, uh, I don't know. Hold on a sec. I mean, uh, if, if tomorrow we were to go to Saudi Arabia, does that mean that you would wear the veil automatically, Karen? Actually, if I were to go to Saudi Arabia tomorrow, yes, I would wear the veil. Would, because... would you wear the veil out of respect, or would you wear the veil because out of fear that you might be attacked if you don't? Well, because out of fear, not yeah, out of respect. Yeah, exactly. But the right? point is that I would do it and I think there are other ways that you can change a culture apart from thumbing your nose at it yeah I'm, uh, I'm with you I would do it both you know for respect 
I mean, it's it's like having somebody come to our country yeah. and, that slaughters chickens for rituals and taking them to Mill Lake Park in the middle of the day and, and taking all these chickens and just slaughtering them with mm-hmm. everybody standing around. Yeah, but we saying, no, no, but this is what we do, and we yeah. want to take pictures because we're so happy to be able to do it in Canada. Yeah, but yeah. The, you, would, there's some gray area there. There's some gray area. Yeah. Taking a picture of a naked fish on top of a mountain does not harm any way, shape, or form. Slaughtering chicken in Mill Lake, there could be uh, hygiene issues. There could be lots of problems. Okay, okay well, stripping down and getting naked. In yeah. Lake? We'll do it. yeah, we'll do it. Stripping down and getting naked. I think Ellis should just volunteer for that. I don't care. I'm I, sorry I, I, about the analogy, but no, I see. I, I see think if, if people want to strip down naked on top of you know a mountain in North America, if that's your thing to do, you know, and it's not a big deal in North America, then you know go to it. I mean, I personally, I'm not about to get my kegs off, you know, on top of a mountain. It's <laughs> cold. But you know, if you're if you're in a foreign country, you know what? My, my thing is like maybe just check out. Check out yeah. that it's it's okay to do that, and if it's not. Then don't do it. And if you do it and you get caught, <laughs> it's kind of like spitting on. You know, like when you go to um, some of the, the um, Malaysian countries, uh, you can't spit on the ground. I mean, spitting on the ground is gross anyway. But in North America, it's very common to see people spitting on the ground. Um, if you do it in in like the Philippines or whatever, you'll get arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I can understand. I I I just think their their answer there was pretty heavy handed. It was heavy-handed, know, but... And especially there's no harm to nothing there. I mean, to start accusing people that the, the earthquake is caused because of somebody was naked on the mountain, I mean, come on. Okay, really? So that person is well, kind of an that's, idiot. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I actually think if we, if someone, if I was go to, to go to Mill Lake Park and strip naked, I actually would get arrested. I mean, public community is, <laughs> I'm not sure how legal it is in Canada either. And I'm yeah, sure but they, they would just take their upset. time arresting you, though. Well, I, you know, I think that brings up a point, and Alistair brings up a point as well, is that if there are um, uh, agreed-on policies in a particular country, if, if these are the rules and they're published and you're supposed to know the rules, mm-hmm. everybody coming in is supposed to know them, and you deliberately ignore them, yeah, at this point you deserve, you know, whatever punishment mm-hmm. is... is uh, uh, Although I doubt, I doubt there's a, that particular infraction. I doubt there's a specific law that says you're not allowed to get naked on top of a mountain in Malaysia. <laughs> oh, I thought there was something though that said this is no. Dis- it's basically dis- disrespectful. Well, yeah, the, yeah the, right. it's disrespectful. Okay. It happened. An earthquake yeah. by pure coincidence happens uh, a couple of days after. They blamed it on. Yeah, and right. you know what? I think so that's the key point. Is one thing, and then disrespect for the. For the the law. law, that's, yeah, that's something yeah. else. Yeah. If, if that earthquake hadn't happened, I doubt we would have ever exactly. heard about this. They would have, exactly. Yeah. No one would know that they have yeah. done that, but it was just the bad luck that that earthquake happened and they were there. And it's going to cost them $132 or 400 well, If they can afford to go to Malaysia, they can afford the 132 <laughs> <laughs> No sympathy for them, Karen. <laughs> well, I've got, I've, I've got another story that uh, that is sort of similar. Um Speaking of uh, culture and respect, uh, did you guys hear the story about this Muslim gymnast? She was criticized for revealing for revealing leotard that, uh, as she won a double gold medal. Uh, this uh, her name is uh, Farah Ann Abdul Hadi. She's 21. She has come under fire for wearing a leotard in the Southeast Asia Games, where she won a total of six medals. Um, the Muslim gymnast has been criticized by religious leaders for wearing a revealing leotard. You know the leotard, the, you know the very tight. Yeah. Uh, you know, so basically, it's almost like a swimsuit, you know, except with with sleeves, right? Um, 
she represented Malaysia again <laughs> at the competition where she won six medals, including two goals. But she was uh, rebuked by leaders and social media trolls for showing her orat, an Islamic word referring to the genitalia and, and, and thighs. So I guess they, they just don't like, for lack of a better word, camel toe. <laughs> uh, cleric. Did she have her head covered? What's that? Did she have her head covered? He said. Did, did she have her head covered? No, no. I'm, I'm looking at a couple of pictures of her here uh, doing a, you know, doing like a split and stuff like that, and you know, she looks like every other gymnast, right? Um, I'd like, I'd like to see the clerics try and do some gymnastic moves with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, isn't this a little late to raise the objection? I mean, yeah, obviously no the girl well, and the team was in training. They had trainers. Yeah. They entered the Olympics. Someone was paying for them to be there. She was good enough to win all of these medals. And afterward, they say, oh, wait a minute, you're wearing the wrong clothes? Yeah. And Why are they bringing it up now? Shouldn't they be concentrating on her performance instead yeah. of concentrating on her genitalia? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what if it was a bit cold and her nipples kind of showed up a bit? Then what? You know, I mean, one of the clerics, whose, whose name is ha- Harusani Zakaria, told the local paper, gymnastics is not for Muslim women. It is clear that exposing one's orat and the shape of one's body is haram, which means forbidden in Islam. If Muslim women want to participate in gymnastics, they have to find outfits which would cover the orat, and this in turn might not be suitable for the sport. He added that Muslim men wear shorts that cover their knees during football, and Muslim women should take should make similar concessions. The uh, then there's this person called Razida Kamuruddin, head of the female wing of the National Muslim Youth Association. She's the female uh, head of the female wing, and I'm hoping it's a woman because Rosdina. Well, she added that women should not be stopped from uh, from sport; they should, but they should prioritize Islamic code in sports too, which is interesting. Uh, furthermore, there are many Muslim. Yeah. No, no, keep going. Okay. Furthermore, there are many Muslim female athletes who succeed even by covering their orat, but thousands of her fans have defended her social media. And I love this woman, this uh, this gymnast, Farrah, because she came back with the most badass reply of the year so far on Twitter when she tweeted, empty cans make the most noise, <laughs> which has been retweeted over 5,000 times. Like, oh. Good for her. Good, good for her for retweeting that. Good for, I mean, well, if, for this, that. if the government felt strongly about this, they would have prevented her from leaving or done something. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering whether these old guys are like the last vestiges of conservatism and nobody pays any attention to them so they can say what they want but it has nothing to do with reality as mm-hmm. we know it today mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of sports attire for, for for lack of a better word this is a complete dick move okay i mean the woman just won six medals two gold it's a bit remember when the what was that little singer uh taylor swift got the award and then kanye west came in and just took the mic from her and say oh you know you're great but you know this person is greater. Remember that? Well, anyway, this is the exact same thing. The, the girl just won, worked very hard, won six medals, and you come in there and you start talking about her genitalia. I mean, come on. Come on. I I don't I'm, even think Allah would go that far. I'm, I'm kind of confused about the knee comment, though. I, I'm not quite sure what's, what the allure of, of Muslim men's knees are. <laughs> well, you know... Well, that's because you've never seen known their knees, knees Alistair. <laughs> well, you know, it's the old cliche. There's no accounting for taste. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a new form 
form of Islamic pornography, you know? <laughs> Let me rub your knee here a bit. <laughs> That's because when you when you when you when you pray, you get down on your knees, right? So they they have to be. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going there. No, no, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> so, okay, so that was, that was what I, I had this week for that. Um, now we get this uh, interview with Lawrence Krauss. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, uh, we interviewed Lawrence Krauss. Uh, we were hoping to get a lot more out of him uh, at the Imaginal Religion, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, the man is super busy, but he was kind enough to grant us an interview. Now, in the room, I'm the only one that was there. I was hoping Mark would be here today to analyze this with you. But I want to, it's just like five, six minutes, but I'm just going to stop it in between there. And if you guys want to chime in on what you think is the answer in there, or you want to comment, let's, get, let's do that, okay? Good. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Professor, for being with us. Uh, we got a whole bunch of questions we uh, decided to, uh, we wanted to ask you, but there's so many things we can ask you. We actually sent out the memos to uh, our audience and some of the questions they wanted to ask you. Ah, and Mark's got those. Okay, well, we'll try some of those. Okay. What first kicked off your love of science? Was there a particular person as well that inspired you? Well, I, a lot of, there's a lot of factors, but um, first of all, my mother wanted me to be a doctor, um, as, I, as I think I said the other night, but unfortunately she made the mistake of telling me doctors were scientists. And so I got, I got interested in science, and by the time it was high school, I suddenly realized doc, being a doctor wasn't being a scientist, but by then I sort of fell in love with science. But also, when I was young, I read books about scientists and by scientists. Okay. So I read books, about, I remember I read when I was 10 or 11 a book about Galileo, and it, and it really got me excited. And then I read books by George Gamow and, uh, and Albert Einstein, and that's one of the reasons why I write books now, is to return the favor. So, now, I find this very interesting because he says he, he was reading books uh, by scientists, but also of sci- uh, from sci- of them, you know, uh, which is not something you read about a whole lot these days. You know, even myself, I don't read novels, but I'll, I'll read uh, scientific literature, but I rarely grab a book about a certain scientist, and maybe we should do that more, you know? I, maybe because there are some, as far as I remember, maybe Alistair can... Uh, chime in on this one, but I think you know for children's literature there are a lot of the biographies, the story of Alexander Graham Bell, and the story of as, he, as uh, Lawrence Cross was saying, you know Galileo and so forth. So I think maybe in the children's uh, biography for yeah. inspiration, there are probably more than there are you know for adults. Yeah, I, there was. Oh, sorry, Alistair, go for it. No, I was just going to say. I mean, yeah, there. there I mean, I'm a. I enjoy reading biographies about scientists. Uh, like right now, I'm reading a Walter Loon's book, uh, For the Love of Physics. You know, um, and there are, are, there's a lot of bookstores that actually do have a lot of good books for kids about, you know, scientists. More of the popular ones. You know, I don't think you'd really want your ten-year-old. I wouldn't expect my ten-year-old to sit down and read a Richard Feynman's, you know, autobiography. But, um, yeah, I think it's hugely important for kids to read about you know these these people who just made amazing um, discoveries and, and, and amazing landmarks in, 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 in science and they're just they're just like them that's the biggest thing right mm-hmm. when, I, when I grew up there was a series of books um, it was uh, it was called like an example of courage and they would tell you about the story of Jackie Robinson and it was illustrated for kids and uh, that that little series had a huge impact on me uh, but uh, I gotta admit since then I haven't really picked up books about you know 
I've, I've picked up uh, the book like about the, the origin of species from Darwin, but a book about Darwin himself, I have not. And maybe that's something we need to do more uh, to advance you know, uh, our um, excitement for science. Yeah, th- I, this is obvious, but it's still worth repeating in that books like that um, about scientists, Madame Curie for girls and things like that, they are so powerful. For children, because children, you know, are, are looking at the world and they're curious. And when they latch on to a story that has heroics and it has danger and it has people overcoming adversity and battles and fant- fantasy and all of those things, it really can set them on a path. And I can see where Lawrence Krauss was just totally captivated, and that was it. You know, it set it set his career path. But can we interest kids into reading these kind of books today? When you have when you're competing against you know the Chronicles of Narnia or or you know the Lord of the Ring, you know the fantastic stories. You know, with, Those with, are both very old series. You know that. Oh, right? well, fair, so fair enough. But I mean, there's there's I don't know the the newer series. Harry but, Potter. Okay, fine. Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, can you compete? Can you can you interest kids in reading about um, Stephen Hawking's? Depends when, uh, on the kid. The important thing is to expose them, and then they will read or not read, but the they exposure is the important thing. Do we have a better chance if we do things like the documentary style? Like, they like uh, for example, The Theory of Everything, the movie that came out with Stephen Hawking, which, uh, which, by the way, was a very good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very good movie. But I don't know how much it made the rounds out there. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those movies that is kind of obscure, and most people are, probably have not seen it. Yeah, no, I think absolutely, yes, if you... If you take your children with you if you read with them if you take them to the library and say I think you'd like this one because and then you say wow wasn't that a great book mm-hmm. and if you encourage them and they know that this is part of their life sure I think they uh, they will either read or they'll go online or they'll see movies but I think the main thing is the parental guidance okay yeah um, I just the yep. the um the series that was just remade was Carl Sagan's series. Cosmos. Cosmos. What? You. I know, my mind went blank. My mind was blank. Anyway, I thought a really great thing about that was the way he'd say, oh, and there was this scientist. And he would do a little biography on them. And then if you're interested, you can go find out more about that scientist. I thought that, he, that was very well done. It was well integrated into the series. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's continue with the area. How would you encourage the younger generation to be more enthusiastic about science? I'd hold it over. Oh no, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. uh, I, I let's see. Um, I think that what it, you make it cool, you make it fun. You don't. You don't. First of all, let me make it clear: the younger generation is already enthusiastic about science. When it comes to being really young, all kids are born scientists. I think he's got a great point there. All kids are born scientists, and uh, we have a tendency to take it away from them. And that was a great question from Bethany. Uh, it's it's true. We're all naturally curious about stuff. I mean, I remember showing my daughter the very simple experiment of putting paper in a glass and putting it underwater, and realize showing her that the paper did not did not get wet because of the air pressure, right? The air bubble that was created, right? And that is fascinating to a kid. And uh, for some reason, uh, it doesn't work very well afterwards. Um, is it because of the way we teach them at school? Can I? Yeah. Can I? So my daughters had this absolutely fabulous kindergarten teacher who would say okay today we're going outside and they would look around and see butterflies or earthworms or whatever and then they would go inside and she would say okay what what did you see what do you want to know she didn't tell them what they should know she would say this show me what you saw and tell me what you thought 
and they did such amazing things and they learned so much because she would let them decide what part was interesting to them and that was the part that they would explore. But she was very unusual and mostly it's, okay, you saw a butterfly, well this is how the butterfly is made and this is, and it's very didactic. But that that really limits, you know, limits the potential for learning because if you're not interested in a cocoon then you you're not you completely now don't care about that butterfly at all but maybe you're more interested in how the light pattern or the the light reflects on its wings or the pattern of its wings or whatever that but if it doesn't fit in with the curriculum it doesn't matter and so then you don't care about any of it but if you were allowed to explore more the parts that you're interested in, that would take you into a whole new direction. Yeah. So I think it's largely how it's taught. Exactly, and I think class size makes a difference too, as to how you can, you know, sure. how much time. Yeah, because if you go to a class with 30 kids, you don't have time to do well, that with each kid. This is a whole new subject. We're oh, I know, but learn. we're about yeah. to open here. Oh well, but it's that is part of it. And uh, are you saying that maybe we should just relax the curriculum and be less, you know, give more leeway to teachers to explore avenues that they are not. That that are not written sure. in the curriculum. Yeah, but but as Nancy says, if you've got a whole group of kids that you don't have time to do that, so it is it's it's difficult in this current situation. And but but it's it's incur- encouraging the curiosity. And the, and I don't think this is just science, but all topics often you're not really taught. You're taught this is the way it's done, not what do you think? How do you think? And and kids are not encouraged to think creatively. They're encouraged to follow the rules. So that is maybe that's right there the key. You should be they should be taught encouraged to think creatively. Oh yeah, I, I think part of it too is that when he says all kids are scientists, I think part of what he's saying sorry Lawrence, I'm I'm putting words in your in your mouth here. But I think he means that all kids enjoy the hands on um, uh, experiences of finding things out for themselves. Mm. Um, it's not just sitting and and maybe watching uh, an experiment of uh, whatever it is you pour into a volcano and it and erupts and the kids go wow. It's it's getting outside like Karen says and looking at the cocoon and 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 looking at the bugs and where they go and following them and seeing where the ants go. Mm-hmm. Once you 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 encourage. How come this happens? Why is this? Why? If you can get kids to think in why, now mm-hmm. now you've got them. If you just think of them in, in terms of there's a test next Thursday, yes. it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, but anything yeah. you can do to encourage why will will help. Alistair? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with what Nancy and, and, and um, Karen are saying. The, the classroom, the problem with the classroom, I know that's a different topic, but when they're learning from a textbook, it's just not real. You know, I think you have to, to we have teachers in my son's school and they take them out every year and they, well, they raise salmon in the classroom and then they take them out to Borden Creek and they release the salmon, mm-hmm. but they have to do like temperature check on the water, they have to look at other insects in there, they have to look at the biodiversity and they have to write projects about it, but getting them out there in the field so they're handling it is really important. It's important. I think as parents, the schools can only do so much. And as parents, we have to grab mm-hmm. the opportunities to make science exciting. So, for example, we were sitting out the back uh, garden a couple of nights ago, and we were t- my, my daughter was looking at the moon through my binoculars. And so, of course, this ended up in a whole conversation about was, well, how far away is a light year? And, you know, and so you've got to grab those type of moments and say, well, you can see the craters in the 
happened. Well, how long does it take that light to get here? Let's look up. Let's find out. And you've got to make it exciting and applicable as opposed to a textbook. And I think that's the parental responsibility mm-hmm. to, you know, um, example, I ended up having to get rid of a wasp hive a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I was able to take all the different stages of the larvae and pupa out right up to an adult adult oh, wasp and cool. lay them all on the table to show the kids. That's awesome. It made it more like, oh, that's where they come from, you know? And it's, it's, they get fascinated by that stuff and they never forget. I've never forgotten anything I ever learned in science. Well, I've forgotten some things, but the, you know, the thing that the, the teachers who made things alive, those are the teachers and those are the things that I think kids remember. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anything yeah. to get your butt off the couch and, and playing and get away from the the texting and yeah you yeah know, yeah maybe tablets. maybe you are fo- uh, focused a bit too much on books I mean I I must admit you know when I read uh, Lawrence Krauss's book I did not get it I'm I'm not very good at reading and understanding books I'm really not but if you put it in a visual medium like a uh, like a documentary film for me I totally get it right away um, but you know I'm I'm one of those people that doesn't understand as well. As Karen, for example, who's fantastic with books, you know, she reads the whole thing, she understands everything, English major, blah, 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 you know, she runs circles around me. But, you know, uh, I I read the book, but sometimes I have to read it twice and three times to understand what the person was saying. But if you put it in another medium, uh, I totally get it right away. You know, you can ask Karen if I'm focused on the television. You can't. <laughs> you no, just cannot get my attention. I'm focusing down on you, and you wouldn't even know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's keep on that with Lawrence Krauss here. So what we do is we beat it out of them, and we just got to stop beating it out of them. We got to have have teachers who are comfortable teaching science, so the, the kids can learn. It's not something to be uncomfortable about. We got to, and, and and they can, in and in particular, we can encourage them to ask questions rather than have answers. So the more important thing in education is to get teachers encouraging kids to ask questions and to and to ask questions themselves and say, let's figure out how to answer it. And finally, we should be really enthusiastic about saying, I don't know. Instead of convincing kids that it's all known and it's something you have to memorize, but it's, we don't know it, and they might be able to discover how to do it. Okay, Jimmy, you a question? That's huge, right there. What he just mm-hmm. said there. Uh, first of all, to get teachers that are interested in the subject, and might it might sound ridiculous, but there's a lot of teachers out there who are just not. Um, I mean, Karen, when you and I took that biology course, mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was nice, but come on, half the time he was putting us to sleep. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, he he didn't have that drive, but I can remember a math teacher, and I I was horrible at math in school, by the way. But his name I still remember his name today, Mr. Pimentel, and he had a drive for mathematics. You know, when he would explain to you, you know, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, he would just go into graphics and size and you know the triangles and size of the universe, and it doesn't matter. But he had that drive, and he was making it more exciting. Uh, although you know, I I, I can remember him. But that teacher of biology, which was actually in like last year, mm-hmm. I can't even remember his name now. I don't remember his name either. That's it's funny. Dave something. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, but it didn't. just shows you that, you know, I can remember my grade 9 math teacher, but I can't remember the guy from last year. Because why? He was making the, the, the subject more interesting, and he, was, he had a drive. It wasn't just a job for them. When I was in college, I, I, I had a... I had a double major, and unfortunately, both of them required me to take education classes as a, as a second uh, topic, subject. 
and I realized at that point that the teachers were did not have to know their subject. They knew they had to know how to teach it. So as a result, you got people who were very low in the knowledge of their subjects, but really good at how to make the report cards out and how to do the test. Yeah, totally. And so when kids would ask them questions, they were often unable to answer the questions because they weren't well-versed in their own Mm -hmm. subject. So it was easier to teach and then have multiple choice so they didn't have to deal with essays. And unfortunately, the kids are the ones who suffered from that. But it it was horrible to go through all these education classes when you realized, and this is no disrespect to the coaches, but when you realized that the coaches could teach history, they could teach anything, without even knowing anything about That's history. That's right. Because That's they right. had the degree and they had the license in that state or that province to be able to teach. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm people that have known me know that I'm a pro-union kind of fellow and all that, and I have worked with the school district and I kind of have a lot of respect for teachers and all that. But there, I do have to fault them there. You know, when, you're, when your job becomes, you know, so mundane that you have to you're putting anybody to teach whatever subject you, the the students can tell you know the students can tell i i still remember this music teacher that i had and this was back in high school a long time ago and he had no idea about music whatsoever you know he had to look up how to do the the, the conductor uh stick and everything right you have to look it up and you could how much can you learn from a person that does not know the basic you know and you realize you're the teacher but you know about as much as i do which is nothing uh yeah, you, you will lose uh, the respect for the teacher at that point too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're smart enough, the problem is that, that you have most kids who don't care and they just take whatever it is that's given to them. They're not encouraged that much by their parents. Yeah. And so, you know, they just go ahead and become, you know, part of the part of the crowd without realizing that there's so much more that they can be exposed to. Some kids are really lucky. They do get that additional exposure somewhere, but... It's difficult when you're in third or fourth grade and you don't really know the difference. But then, do you what? What's the solution to something like that? You know, I'm not. I don't want to go too far on that tangent there. But if you if you're going to have somebody who majors in biology to teach biology, you know, you also have to compensate that person financially, right? And this is where this is where the rubber meets the road, right? It's the the financial budgets for the school and the teachers cannot meet what you're hoping to get, right? So so. How, how much money is a taxpayer willing to spend on children? And we've seen so far it's not a whole lot. Okay. I do have it. Okay, I agree with you that there are, are a lot of people out there who say, oh, t- taxes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but I can't speak for other districts. I can certainly speak for this district. Money gets spent in inane ways and doesn't get spent on the teachers. And we can look at our our lovely premier who pays for her personal friends' uh, lawyers' bills out of government money, but then you know won't pay the teachers and won't give them decent classroom sizes and does everything she possibly can to ruin the system. It's not that the money's not there; it's that the money is not properly spent. And and there's been a whole raft of issues in this district as well that I won't get into. So I I think it's a bit of an easy out to say the money's not there. I think we are giving the money to the wrong people. We should be giving it to people who are more creative and uh, have more initiative and more passion to actually do what's right in the education system. Totally agree with that. 
Perfect. Alistair, you have anything to add? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep going then. Yeah, Even just though in... Just in, in, uh, in relation to Jamie, that, though. I did watch Richard Dawkins a couple of years ago on some yeah. YouTube video had said that uh, in response to Feynman's quote of science or physics that at, at any rate is, uh, you know, harder than we can imagine that that quote, but he had indicated that there may be a way to start with children very young with video games and showing them different ways to get them kind of more more comfortable more comfortable with it and with just the idea of it so that it wasn't such a hard thing to it's, grasp. It's true that the older. that the younger we we present kids with things, the more intuitively comfortable they are with it. Which is, by the way. And I wasn't being facetious, I really think it's important. We make a mistake in schools in teaching science in the order of biology, chemistry, then physics. Because we, some people think that people are, are more comfortable with biology because it's frogs and things like that. And physics is, is, is further away. But the problem is it, it, it teaches science the wrong way around. Because, as I said, the principles of, of biology are based on chemistry, the principles of chemistry are based on physics. So when you learn it in biology, it appears as a bunch of facts. And that's not science. And so, is there anything out there that, as a parent, that I can sort of direct my children in that direction? Are you looking to there make lots of, children? There's lots of science. Well, well, I should write a children's book once, yes. but there are people. My friend Lucy Hawking has written, uh, and oh, Stephen and I've written part of it, uh, a bunch of kids' books about uh, about physics and astronomy. There are there are games. Richard's book at a older lo- level, which I have to say I helped him with a lot at the, at the magic reality and the non-biology part. Um, uh, uh, okay, I got to pause it there for a sec. Um, I think he's got a great point there that Jamie kind of glanced over it really quickly and when she went into, as a parent, what can I do? Uh, he has a point there. We teach kids biology first and then chemistry and then physics. Uh, and you know what? To be, I'm guilty of that. I would have been the first one to say, yeah, of course, teach them biology first because, you know, it's something they can relate to. It's tangible. Yeah, it's a frog, you know, to start. But he, he's got a great point uh, saying that biology is based on chemistry and chemistry is based in part on physics. Uh, so, so you you, you uh, stifle that creativity when you present everything as a frog is a frog is an amphibian. It's a fact. Uh, instead of saying you know uh, pushing, okay, why is this happening? You know, like this. So I think I think he had a very good point there. Well, I wonder if part of that, and you know, I never even thought of that before. Wow, I'm wondering whether part of that may have to do with. Um, brain development uh, in that children go from the the practical and the concrete to the abstract and biology in um, uh, junior high and then physics in senior high sort of goes along with the concrete to the uh, to to the theoretical but some kids just pick up physics quicker than than they do biology and mm-hmm. and it, maybe it should be a choice that they they can take either biology or or uh, physics and then go from there rather than making it mandatory to start with biology. I'd be just curious to see if there was, um, like we said, you know, we, we we teach biology first because it seems more tangible to children. Is there is there any science behind that, or is it just like gut feeling? You know, 
Uh, did, did we base our whole educational system on just a gut feeling from a parent or something? I don't know. No, no, but it, it really is. I mean, you're, the, the brain does take experiential, mm-hmm. concrete facts first, and mm-hmm. then you learn to abstract from that and form ideas. That's why, you know, th- there aren't any nuclear physicists at age four. They have to get to at least age nine before they have, You know, the geniuses, the kids who really are geniuses, you know, maybe you know eight or nine, but but that is that is an that is a fact that of, of that the steps that that you go through in order to um, you know de- develop your your brain power and thinking. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, it's much easier to. I think. Go ahead, Alistair. No, oh, I was just going to say, I think the. Uh, people forget that there's a connection between mathematics and physics. And I think when, when we're teaching kids math, I think they should be introducing the elements or the basics of physics when they're doing the math, because if the kids don't get the math, they're not going to get the physics. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and, and, and there's a, the two of them are inseparable. And I think I, I, I agree with Lawrence that, yeah, I mean, physics, it cannot is like the it's the foundation to chemistry and biology because if you don't understand physics, you don't understand the mathematics behind physics, you're not going to understand or you're going to have a, a less, lesser idea of the, the, the science behind, physics, uh, behind chemistry and biology. I bring this up at my own peril, but I wonder how many teachers are able to teach physics at the level that you know he's talking about mm-hmm. as well. I remember in high school the physics teachers were always considered to be the really weird teachers, mm-hmm. but, which doesn't. <laughs> but they were just you know. But this this is going back to the 50s and 60s. I don't think so much now. But that you bring up a good point there. Um, I've always said that students or children will rise or fall by your expectations of them. If they know you expect nothing, nothing is what you'll get, regardless of what they're capable of. And uh, and they've done studies about, um, you know, group control group of students is told, okay, well, we're going to do this topic with no, like, expectations of how well or not well they'll do. And then another group is told, okay, well, this is really hard or we don't expect you're going to do very well. And then even though those students have the same abilities, the ones who have been sort of given the expectation that they'll do poorly, do poor, more poorly consistently. And I think that goes back to teachers who understand the subject and are passionate about it and who are not going to say, oh, well, this is really hard and, and kind of put that on the students. If you just go in there and say, wow, this is amazing and look at this, you're going to get a much better result than if you say, well, if you're not good at math, you're not going to understand physics. Like there is a lot of of that the social expectation that's put on students that sh- that shouldn't be there. I think also on the same branch to go with what you're saying there. Uh, speaking of expectation, maybe because we've also seemed to have geared our educational system towards producing a productive member of society and not necessarily producing scientists. Well, well okay, but you can't you can't go into the school system expecting to produce scientists. I want. To produce no, artists and musicians and writers. No, but and all I mean, you too. can like, put some emphasis on it, right? I mean, right now, this is probably why mathematics are not taught with physics because we're not making the link. You know, instead of encouraging more scientists to come out at the other end of, of school, we're encouraging production workers, drones, accountants, business people. This is what we're encouraging right well, now that, in the that, educational that, system. 
that goes back to the creative thinking, teaching students to think creatively as opposed to, yeah, what you're saying is that they're kind of being put in cookie cutters because we want a certain number of machinists and a certain number of computer scientists, well, the, and that's not the way it should be taught. Exactly. Yeah. If, we, if we went at the beginning and said, okay, this, this kid is entering school at this level now, and uh, by the time they reach the end, we want to have 20% more people that are interested in science, then maybe they would put the link of teaching math and physics together because they want to produce more scientists at the end. I think, I, I think too, the focus has to be on uh, um, making it like, make it more exciting. You know, how many times do you go to award ceremonies for your kids? I mean, I, I know we've all had kids that have gone through high school and stuff, and you sit there and there's about 10 different awards for athletics. Athletics is important. I'm not dissing yes. it. My <laughs> kids are involved in athletics. Um, but how many times do you... Um, how many awards are given out for math? How many awards are given out for physics? You know, or or or, or you know that type of stuff. There's, I don't think there's the same level um, towards the, the sciences as there is towards things like you know, yeah, you can, you're really good at basketball. We're going to give you a, a, a you know a two thousand dollar grant towards your education. No, I think you get a very good point. Yeah, though. we just had my son just graduated, so we went to the award ceremonies, and it was exactly that. There's a whole table full of these huge, gaudy trophies for sports, and there's one for like there's one award for you know top physics students, one award for top math student, whatever. Which is like yeah. a, a certificate that's all there yeah, is, or a little medal. Yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna go buy one of those big, gaudy trophies and donate it to the school for the best literature students. Like, come on, let's let's have some equality. Actually, here. you know what, Ben? I think that'd be worth doing. I think that would totally be worth doing. Buying just how much would a trophy like that cost anyway? Probably not a whole lot of money. You know, Probably you could just donate to a school and say, you know, I want this to be the trophy for. Yeah, just let's have some, let's have some kind of sort of. Yeah, yeah. Pretend that these things are at least slightly equal, even though in my mind that the the, uh, the awards for actual subjects are more important than the sports awards. But at least let's try to make it equal. I wonder if anyone has taken the time to write a letter to their school. Um, letting letting the the administration know the the inequality. It's when you, when you see that when someone gets a huge trophy for their accomplishment, and the physics student gets a piece of paper. I mean, right there, doesn't mm-hmm. that you know doesn't that let everybody know who, who's mm-hmm. worth what? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Alistair, you were what say? Yeah, I was just going to say, you, can you imagine, and Karen, Karen's idea is brilliant, because can you imagine the level of competitiveness if if kids were like, hey, if I, you know, if you had the teachers excited about it, but if you had, um, if you had the kids looking at, you know, I want to, that's the award I want to go for. I want that mm-hmm. big-ass trophy, or I want that $1,000 award, the level of competitiveness would just increase, and then kids would be excited about it as much as they are about, you know, um, the winning the varsity soccer tournament or something, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's all about excitement and encouraging that. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Karen. You know, big ass trophy will get a big ass reaction. Well, don't kids still have the science fair in uh, elementary and high school? Do they still do that? I, um, my kids didn't. I did in in elementary school, but my kids never had that. I have to say, my experience with the science fair was a teacher who didn't give us any guidance and. I floundered through it and had a miserable time. And it's like if you're taking the sports analogy, okay, when you go learn to play baseball, they tell you these are the rules and this is what you do, and then they fine-tune it so you can whatever, do better. 
baseball is the most boring sport in the world, so it doesn't matter. But um, but they don't do that for so much for science. I, I I do remember sort of being taught the scientific method, but again in a way that was kind of ponderous and not made to be exciting, and it was it was very um, you know it wasn't made to be exciting. Exciting. So mm-hmm. so then it becomes a challenge to get through it, and and I think Alistair is exactly right. You make it put them present them equally and then you you'll have a different result all right let's continue with Lawrence Krauss yep. it is one it, and it has an app associated with it with games that you can play so but I mean the kids should you know it, I think it's really important to make science enjoyable but they shouldn't think it's just fun that's part of my problem science museums are great and I've worked in them because they are fun but it's more than just fun but if they if we just start getting them to realize it's fun and it's something you could be comfortable with that's a big start okay. I've got a question for my Muslim friends before I get to that question by Muslim, I just want to point out that, that quick, uh, what he was saying there. When you go to a place like Science World, they have this section, which is, you know, the, it's all science and physics and labors and everything, but to the kids, it's a big playroom. Mm-hmm. And I, I go, yeah, and, and it's fine in that sense, but I think that it's too much of a playroom. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a playroom and not enough for them to, get to, what, to, to, to think for half a second, hmm, I wonder why. You know, and they do their best. I mean, it's 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 really ingenious when they do that, and I encourage it. But I really wish there was I don't know there was a way to reach a kid a bit more because when they walk in there, they just completely lose their questions. They just want to pull on this lever and pull on that lever and see one light go on, and they don't ask why. Mm-hmm. They just want to do it. Well, yes, yes and no. Um, when my kids were growing up in uh, in Dallas, <laughs> between Dallas and Fort Worth, believe it or not, with all the fun we make, or I make, I know, of, of Texas, we had some fantastic museums. We had science museums, and we would go, and the kids always looked forward to going. And I think it's, it's, it's a way they, if you take them the first time and they play and they have a wonderful time, it just doesn't matter with that. The second time, if you get to go off it, now the second or third time, I mean, they've already played. Now it's not as new, but now why does that happen? Now you can get into a little more instruction. If you take the kids there because you want a break and you know the kids are going to have fun and you can just stand in a corner and talk to somebody that you're there with, that's fine. You can do that the first time. But follow up. I think it's the follow up where where the learning takes place. And I found that to be very true in all the museums that uh, at first it was all brand new and I didn't know and they didn't know and then we'd look it up and then go back and see it see it with new eyes. But parent um, encouragement and involvement and guidance apps, unless that kid happens to be just naturally inclined mm-hmm. and nothing you do is going to stop them, they really need you to be there and encourage them. Okay. Let's keep on going. Okay. Uh, he was asking uh, if if, uh, if electrons could be anywhere, they have the possibility of being pretty much anywhere at the same time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that kind of open the door to miracles? No. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That was a question from uh, our friend Ahmed. He was basically uh, asking, uh, you know, if electrons have the possibility of being everywhere at the same time by quantum physics or quantum mechanics, it, it, doesn't that consider itself to be a bit of a miracle? Uh, and you know because he he's, he still is uh, Muslim, right? So he's still, uh, he still, I know. I guess he was kind of defending his faith, I guess, in a way like that. So I was, I was kind of <laughs> interesting to see Lawrence Cross go, no, 
<laughs> because 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 uh, quantum mechanics tells us specifically what the probabilities are of finding a given electron in any given place. And if you do a hundred different experiments, you'll find out that you know ninety percent of the time it's here, ten percent of the time it's there. And the theory tells us what that is. So there's no you know there's no room for that. It's very predictive. It's an incredibly predictive theory, predictive in a probabilistic sense. So that's different than classical mechanics. But predicting the probabilities can be verified by doing many experiments. Okay. Okay. One last one. Okay. What keeps you motivated to do these kind of uh, events? You're always so approachable at them. Yes. You're willing to go up and speak to everybody, and you're so up for them. What keeps you motivated? Well, people, I don't know. Uh, people appreciate it, I think, and it's impo- I think it's important. And I feel, I feel fortunate to be in a position where people... Um, uh, 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 both know me and appreciate what I do, and and uh, and um, and um, so I feel that I take that responsibility kind of seriously. I think I'm in a very lucky position. It would be a shame if I if I didn't utilize that. So I view it as a, a privilege more than an honor, more than anything. So we all appreciate that. Absolutely. How many pairs of converse do you have, Professor? I haven't counted. I have to wear mine today. I, yeah, I haven't been there. It's my last ones. These were I just bought this week. Probably 22. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Professor Crowley. That was for you, you Elsa. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You take care. And that was Lawrence Krauss. See, I made sure to ask that question about the converse, Alistair. I know you wanted to know that. That is the most important question. You know, you can forget anything that Stephen Hawking is talking about. How many pairs of converse does that man own? Because it is staggering. Every time you see him, it's a different color. Well, surprisingly enough, that time at Imaginal Religion, he was not wearing any. <laughs> he was yeah, wearing regular sneakers. He was not wearing, no cover oh, yeah. shoes. Just yeah, just regular sneakers. But yeah, Mark was right. He's so approachable. I mean, Lawrence Krauss is extremely approachable. He just talks to you. He has a drink with you. I, I told that story on one of the, our last podcasts. And I, I gave him a bottle of Crown Royal, and uh, <laughs> by the end of the evening, there he looked a bit tipsy. But great, great guy, and I sure hope we can bring him on some other time. Any final thoughts about Lawrence Krauss for you guys? No, I just think it was fabulous that he was there and the fact that you had the chance to interview him and talk with him. Uh, I just That's, that's one, of, one of the great moments in your life. It, it really is. Yeah, It's cool. fabulous. Thanks thanks for, for getting there and doing this for everybody. I just wish we had more time with him. Well, anyway. Maybe next time. <laughs> I have a marine. But you had the time. That's important. Yeah, it's always a question of time, right? Okay, so it's finally here, and it's about time. The LGBTQ community has received recognition in the U.S., which sets the standard for the rest of the world. It's amazing that it took us that long to get there, especially regarding marriage, since after all, marriage has always been nothing but a civil contract between two individuals. And in 2015, gender shouldn't weigh in the scale. But I want to address all of those who are still humming and hawing about the Supreme Court decision, or that complain about the rainbow flag at City Hall, or they're wondering why we don't have a street parade. Get over it! The LGBTQ community isn't in your face about their lifestyle. They aren't trying to convert you to become gay. When was the last time gay people knocked on your front door to push their collective so-called agenda? Excuse me, sir, do you have a minute to talk to you about our fabulous lifestyle? No, you don't hear that. But you certainly do hear that coming from the religious. They aren't shy about trying to convince you about their fairy tales and not shy anymore about their bigotry. As the Supreme Court decision came down, it shined a light on those who were against the gay rights and showed them for who they really are. 
They no longer have the protection of law or tradition to support their views, and as such, as usual, religion is the last bastion and refuge for those who harbor hate of the LGBT community. Are you surprised? Religion in the way of progress? And if you are one of those who wonder why we can't have a street parade, I've got a crowbar for you to get your head out of your ass. Count yourself fortunate you didn't need to fight every day just to be accepted. Do we think that people choose to wake up every day afraid that they might lose their job, friends, or even their life because they're gay on purpose? It's a bit like complaining that a female co-worker making 75 cents on the dollar got a 10 cents raise and you didn't. She's still making less than you. Progress like this just proves once again that a secular society is the future and religion is dying. Kicking and screaming, mind you, but it's on its way out. And the sooner the better. Because their tactic is one of burnt ground. They will damage as much as they can before disappearing with a whimper. Your support for reason and things like equality for the LGBTQ helps diminish this damage. But your silence will prolong it. All right. Well, that takes us towards the end of our show. I want to thank everybody that came in today. Guys, it's always a pleasure having you on board. Alistair, same. Yeah, nice yep, to have you, Alistair. In here, thanks. Well, if you want to reach us, you can at www.leftatthevalley.com. Yes, leftatthevalley.com. You can look at us on Facebook, or you can go to Talk. If you set up the Blog Talk radio, they will uh, send you an email message whenever we're about to air. Coming down the pipe, we'll have a Sasquatch hunter and researcher coming up. I still have that interview with Matt Dillahunty. I also have apparently a woman, you know, like we had this uh, woman that came in with stomach cancer. We have a woman that's also a bodybuilder, and she is doing this while affected by Crohn's disease. So that should be fun. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank everyone. you. And remember, anybody that wants to come march with us on the 18th for the Fraser Valley Pride Parade, we'll probably be wearing our shirts, those of us who are members of... Fraser Valley Ash, so come and say hi. Yeah. Yeah, on the 18th of July. That's awesome. So until next time, guys. <laughs>